your hostess and the creator of Woke Beauty, a creative studio that celebrates the inherent resilience of women everywhere. This show questions the lens of beauty and power. You'll hear unfiltered conversations with a dynamic myriad of female visionaries interwoven with my own mental health story, lessons, and philosophies. Coming to you from Los Angeles, West Hollywood specifically, I am currently sitting on my best friend's bed. Let me tell you, it's comfortable. And we have had the most beautiful day. We woke up and, of course, she made me a delicious bowl of oatmeal while I worked on this podcast episode, writing down some thoughts that spoke to me when I woke up this morning before we headed out to exercise. And then we went to my friend's workplace, which is called Remedy. It's an amazing um, just healing space that really intersects multiple aspects of holistic wellness and health. And we indulged in a plunge, an ice bath plunge. Um, Beforehand, we did some really great breath work and then we followed it up with a nice little sauna session. And it was just so relaxing and invigorating. And it's just funny that that happened today because this is part two of demystifying medicine. And if you haven't listened to part one, I really encourage you to pause and go back to that episode to listen because I define the meaning of medicine and my philosophy around holistic therapy. Um, which is really rooted in the integration of traditional and non-traditional treatments. And my preferred word to medicine is actually remedy. So it's just really coincidental, um, but I don't think by mistake that we went to a beautiful space called Remedy today. And um, my friend that works there, I've actually known him for 12, 13 years. So um, just a really cool intersection. So this is part two of demystifying mental health medicine. You know, I really want to combat the notion that medicine is bad or that medicine only involves medication. Medication can be really important, but there are so many different kinds of ways we can approach um, the way that we treat and heal and soothe our mind, body, and spirit. Um, Before I continue, I do want to remind you, I am not licensed My knowledge is derived from social psychology education, personal experience, medical consulting, and persistent research. I nerd out on this stuff. Um, But I'm just a resource. I'm a well-read girl with a story. If you need help beyond this podcast, please contact a certified professional. So previously, I dived into two of the most taboo forms of medicine, psychiatry and medication. Today, I'm going to talk about therapy. And here's the thing. I strongly believe there is no one-size-fits-all, or even most. Oftentimes, when people think of therapy, they imagine talk therapy, you know, sitting in a room with someone you don't know very well and spilling your deepest, darkest secrets. But while talk therapy can be powerful, it's just not for everyone. 
I really believe that different forms of therapy can be more effective than others depending on the person. And there shouldn't be any pressure to partake in any one kind of therapy. I've told my dad, like, hey, you need to go to therapy. And he says, I do go to therapy. I meet with my two best friends on Zoom once a week. And that is my therapy. And I think that's a really beautiful response because he knows what makes him feel better. And he knows how to address the issues in his life. And for him, it's community with two people in his life who know him well and who can, you know, support him from a place of um, partnership and a place of love and intimacy and history. And I get that. I want to start by talking about the different forms of professional therapy. Therapy you would get from a licensed or certified expert in the field. I've had multiple experiences with therapists since I was a teenager. The ways I got to them varied, but usually it was incentivized by an outside party. I didn't have a lot of control over who I saw, or I didn't feel like I did. I just went with the referral. And referrals are really powerful. Oftentimes, those you are connected with have strong branches to other people, but they're not always the answer. And I actually felt most empowered when I took hold of the reins and researched the best therapist for me. It was a bit more difficult. I relied primarily on psychology today and made dozens of phone calls and had some really bizarre conversations. But ultimately, I felt like I had more ownership over my decision and over my relationship with the therapist when I found her all by myself. Uh, From what I know, my current therapist, who I've seen for a long time, has no ties to anyone in my orbit. And I really like that solid boundary. I recently heard a great quote about patients that I've been obsessed with since I heard it. I heard it in a newsletter I receive every week from Farnham Street. And it says, patience is not passive. On the contrary, it is concentrated strength. That was said by Bruce Lee. The remainder was in a tweet that I can't access because I don't have Twitter. (laughs) Um, But I digress. So people wait in different ways. Some are passive, others are active. These two approaches are as different as the results they yield. Passive patience is waiting for the world to give you the thing you want. A lot of people live their life with passive patience. Rather than go after the promotion at work, they expect it to fall in their lap. Rather than go after the love of their life, they sit back and expect to be courted. Rather than chase their dreams, they wait for just the right opening that always seems around the corner but never comes. These people have the wrong kind of patience. Active patience is different. Active patience demands action and intention even while waiting for results. Active patience means not only applying for the promotion but taking your time to build the skills you need to put yourself in the best position to succeed. Active patience means starting the business, writing the book, going after the love of your life. Active patience puts you in the best position to get what you want. There is almost always an action you can take to improve the odds. Active in the moment, but patient with the results. Active patience. I mean, right. Uh, End quote. That really resonated with me. And that is how I approached finding a therapist. I'm sharing the expert the excerpt because I know how frustrating it can be finding a therapist. It is a hard process, but with active patients, you have a lot of potential in finding the best person for you. 
after I found my therapist on Psychology Today, I was certain she would provide the space I needed, despite the notice on her site that said, in big bold letters, not taking any new clients, I called her and shockingly she answered. Shockingly because it turned out she never answered calls from strange numbers, which I get, me either, but she was waiting on a plumber whose number began with my area code. I was so down and low at the time and she could read it in my voice. She began asking questions which led to a brief yet deep conversation after which she said, you know, Riley, I'm technically not taking on any new clients, but I think I can support you and I want to provide a safe space for you. If you are open to it, I would love to have you come in so we can see if we are well suited for one another on your path to healing. No better words could have been said. I felt like the ball was in my court, yet she had also provided an invitation and a vote of support. We had that initial phone call in summer of 2019, almost three years ago. Some would call it fate, and while I'm a romanticist, I believe it was mostly active patience. I searched for months. I persisted, and eventually the right person arrived. My therapist practices psychotherapy, has an impressive resume with degrees from renowned schools, and a lot of experience not just in her current practice, but also in other realms of the field, like inpatient psychiatry, social work, and clinical therapy. She has specific experience with my condition, bipolar 2, which is notable. All of these qualifications were on my list during my research phase. I had a list. I really wanted to work with someone well-rounded, who had a holistic view of mental health and could provide engaging, challenging perspectives that motivated me to grow. But most importantly, her philosophy resonated deeply. She says that people should not be limited to a label, that we are so much more than our problems or disorders, and that the very parts of our personalities we view as flaws are also the origins of our strengths, creativity, and humanity. She described her approach in two concise paragraphs and every single word held weight. In many ways, my relationship with my therapist alone is the medicine. She has taught me how to have a personal connection that has strong boundaries, feels safe, involves respect, care, understanding, maturity, and has the power to grow while maintaining its foundation. I am keenly aware of the cost of therapy and I do my best to prepare deeply for every session. However, oftentimes, as soon as I end up sitting in front of her, I am flooded with all of the things I might otherwise neglect in my usual conversations. Still, in those instances, she knows how to reel me in, distill, and focus so that I leave our time together feeling at ease and well-equipped to move through pressing issues. Though I leave the room, I find that in many ways, she remains with me. I am able to directly apply her lessons, reconfigure thought patterns in my mind, and find healthy ways to feel better. I've had one instance with my therapist where I was concerned we had outgrown each other. I didn't want to, con- I didn't want to discontinue seeing her, but I was worried I wasn't getting what I needed. I was terrified to speak with her. 
But another therapist told me that any good therapist would listen with compassion and find a way to solve the problem. So I shyly, fearfully took the time during one of our sessions to explain that I felt like I wasn't being challenged anymore, that issues weren't truly being addressed, and that something needed to change. Historically, I haven't always been allowed to voice my opinion. I haven't always felt comfortable sharing how I feel. I've worried that I will stir the pot, be the cause of conflict, and ultimately lose someone I love. My therapist's response taught me that those fears don't have to be realities. She listened attentively, responded with curiosity, and soothed my anxiety. She wasn't passive or detached. She was open-minded, even confident. She wanted to find a solution, and she wanted to meet me in the middle. That is how any relationship should function. There are multiple forms of therapy you can explore, and different methods address different issues, and not everyone is best suited for any one form. To give a brief overview of the most common forms of professional talk therapy. Talk therapy, in and of itself, identifies issues that cause emotional stress. It is not meant to be a gossip session. It is not lying on a couch and chit-chatting about life. It is not boundary-free. It is meant to address, soothe, and treat. It is what mental health professionals use to communicate with their patients. If you are currently seeing a therapist gab, or if your therapist is talking to you openly about their personal life to the extent where you're just hanging out, which is really common, I encourage you to reconsider why you're going to therapy and whether the person you are seeing is qualified or right for you. There are different forms of talk therapies, such as trauma-informed therapy, which ultimately tailors interventions and takes into account the impact of trauma on mind, body, spirit, and further mood, behavior, emotions, and regulation. Trauma-informed therapy is really powerful, but I've actually found that it can be extremely triggering and sometimes derail me from personal growth or really moving through what I need to do presently and in the future. Different forms for different people. Dialectical behavior therapy, which is also known as DBT, and cognitive behavioral therapy, known as CBT, encourage different kinds of change. DBT primarily helps clients regulate intense emotions and improve interpersonal relationships through validation, acceptance, and behavior change, while CBT primarily helps clients recognize and change problematic patterns of thinking and behaving. Very different forms of addressing root cause. As I said previously, talk therapy is not for everyone, which is in part why other modalities exist. Somatic therapy aims to help release how the physical body holds on to stress, tension, and trauma rather than only resolving problems verbally. Animal therapy enhances and complements any given therapy, and nature therapy or ecotherapy involves plants, natural materials, or outdoor environments, which means you could just go on a walk, bring plants into your home, garden, just literally use the environment around you. And of course, this seamlessly segues me right into free medicine or free therapy. 
There's so many tactics you can use to feel better, and most of them don't cost a cent. I love this lesson I learned from Rich Roll's Coach's Corner podcast. They argue for ritual over routine. Goals are cool, but far more important is who you become in the pursuit of said goals. Focus on the inside work, on process over results, craft over competition, ritual over routine, recalibration over resolution, and watch your world change. Oftentimes, we concern ourselves with the minute details, like we have to get up at 5 a.m. on the dot or else. I think rituals become more fluid, more possible when they are less strict. Maybe it's just earlier, maybe it's a time frame, or maybe it's altering another aspect in your life to incentivize an earlier day. For me, building little routines in my life that have positive effect is one of the most effective ways I create rituals that support me. You might remember in the last episode, I talked about sleep. My psychiatrist from day one has told me it is the best tool I can use to maintain a healthy, balanced mind, which means building a sleep schedule. We use windows, so it's ideal to be in bed before 10, but just be in bed. No bullcrap. You can just be lying there, maybe with a pleasant book, your thoughts, or pillow talking to someone you love. The hope is to fall asleep by 10.30, but it's just a hope. It doesn't have to be strict. There has to be a little flexibility to let your body do what it will. There are a lot of ways you can support sleep. Four of my favorite tips. Ensure the room is cool, ideally like 68 degrees. Look at no screens an hour prior. Make sure the room is completely dark and no food or drink outside of minimal water two hours before bedtime because you are not digesting a thing while you sleep. Building a sleep schedule allows you to take control over the two times of day that are all yours, morning and night. There might be elements that get in the way like kids or work or just life, But even if you can carve out 30 minutes of sacred time just to yourself at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day, you won't believe how much better you'll feel. Moving your body and eating nutritiously carry a lot of weight. I love walking long miles, lifting weights, and cutting out things that aggravate my gut like dairy and sugar. But again, while I have my routines and philosophies, those things look different for everyone. I mean, there are a lot of facets of life to address when it comes to mental health, and there are so many things you could do. There are books and podcasts and conventions and social media accounts dedicated to personal growth, conventional therapy, free therapy, and mental health. I could go on and on and on about all of the different things I do and the different things I don't do. And so, as I've said before, I'm not covering everything. I'm not even covering all of the categories I find most important, just Over here, doing what feels right, addressing what's helped me most. If I were writing this in a text, I'd insert an upside down smiley face to let you know that I mean it, but it's not a big deal. I'm a big believer in Eastern philosophy, essentially practices adopted from the other side of the world. I don't use them unless I pay homage to them, and I want to make that really clear. Eastern philosophies are often taken advantage of, stolen, and even abused. There is nothing wrong with incorporating them into your life. 
It becomes an issue when you commodify them, neglect respecting them, or pose as if they're your own. All to say, the Eastern philosophy I follow is that unity is the main point in the journey of life as it goes through the eternal realities. Life is circular, and the recurrence with everything around it is important. Ethics is based on behavior, and dependence is from the inside to the outside. My favorite forms of Eastern philosophy are meditation, solo tasking, and yoga. Meditation can work wonders on anxiety. To be anxious is to be detached from the body. Worry, stress, fear, they're not rooted in reality. We are thinking about something that has happened or something that might be coming. We aren't here now, present. Meditation can help keep your mind from wandering to those places, which ultimately prevents the panic that comes with anxiety. It isn't easy and definitely not fun, but even just a few minutes a day can be life-altering. Sometimes it feels a little stark or in great contrast from the rest of my life to just sit and be still. Adding yoga to my routine or a rhythmic walk can be a form of meditation. Doing laundry, eating mindfully, like sitting down, chewing my food, enjoying it, can be meditation. It is more about instilling mindfulness, less about exactly how you're doing it. People with high resilience have high cortisol, which is a stress hormone. Resilience, you know, like everyone that is on the show. Our bodies naturally produce what our minds can handle. So if your resilience is low and your cortisol levels are high, your ecosystem is essentially off balance and your mind is unable to handle high levels of stress. It'll therefore have a tendency to create internal drama, which leads to anxiety. Yoga is powerful because it helps build resilience. It has a great effect on the nervous system, blood flow, and so much more. Physiologically, it's powerful. There are so many reasons why, but they're all equally important, and now this is boring, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Just do it. My only hope um, at this point is to convince you to give it a try or re-enter into the practice if you've drifted. I've been that person, and every time I go back, I remember why I started. Last and definitely not least, solo tasking. I am oftentimes that person looking for my phone before realizing it is literally in my hand, My keys are in the fridge, my head is somewhere up on a cloud, and all of my socks are single. I don't know why, except for maybe because it's because I'm doing too many things. I am multitasking. I am running a thousand miles a minute in my mind, doing multiple things at once, going super fast and wild and juggling and this and that, and therefore predictably things fall through. Life is really fast. I have to remind myself not to be so reactionary to it. If I'm always responding to emails, I'll never finish the project. So it comes down to quieting the chatter in my mind by giving my whole focus to an everyday task, like laundry. I just do the laundry. I listen to the sound of the water as it fills the washing machine. I notice the smell of the detergent. I feel the clothes as I fold them. I make it an easygoing meditation. That intentional awareness naturally slows down my mind. 
See, free therapy. Look at us go. A while back, I learned a really great lesson. Uh, it is. I must, no matter what, carve out time in the morning just for myself. Once I get going, even if I'm solo tasking, I really get going. Other things, other people, they will undoubtedly become first. Priority. Which ultimately makes me less happy, less fulfilled, less of my best self. I'm empty when I wake up. So if I'm giving from a place of emptiness without fulfilling myself first, then I'm going to stay empty. So I have two hours carved out in my calendar every day from 6 to 8 a.m. that are labeled, I am focused on me. It is a non-negotiable time frame that I've set aside for me to sleep, do nothing, walk, read, drink coffee, lift weights, talk to a friend, literally whatever. It doesn't matter so long as it is not work-related, so long as it is purely a form of therapy. It doesn't always happen. Life will grab the wheel. Sometimes I'm traveling. Sometimes I just have to get it done. But it is still a reminder every time I look at my calendar, I am focused on me. So let this serve as your reminder. Take care of you first. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Your listening ears mean the world to me, and they are what make this podcast real. If you aren't here in America, by the way, hi, hello. Thank you so much for being present. I am truly so grateful, proud, and fulfilled to know that this podcast is global. You can meet me on Instagram at Riley Blanks Reed. Learn more about Woke Beauty at wokebeauty.com. And you can always drop me some feedback in my inbox at Riley at wokebeauty.com. I would love to hear from you. As always, remember, you can have a beautiful day, even if it's not that beautiful. Oh.